0: if out there twice and keep twice and keep listening. hey teamsters I'm Carrie Ann and I'm Allison and I was taking a sip of my champagne and this is podcast without an audience I was trying to wait for you to finish but you were taking too long <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're two friends pick two topics and find intersections or not <laughs> I'm just on a roll all the
0: time. All day, every day. This has been, like, a just, like, an eventful weekend, too. And I was thinking, I was like, God, I need to do, like, a mental check-in with Carrie-Anne because, like, you're coming off of your bike ride and, like, I know we talked about that last week, but... Yeah, I just kind of feel like I haven't stopped for about three weeks now. Are you still sore? I am
1: still a little sore. Still, um feeling my butt bones every time i sit down (laughs) (laughs) there's
0: just no delicate way to say that um well i mean yeah i mean you're i mean 104 days of bike riding 184 miles is like yeah a really long time
1: i texted a friend um and i was like i absolutely hate the person who invented stairs i've never lived in a place that had stairs inside the apartment while Mm -hmm. i was doing this bike ride Mm -hmm. Um, and now I live in a townhouse, so going up and down those stairs after the bike ride was the worst, like, two to three days ever. They are steep. Yeah. They are painful. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, the Egyptians may have invented stairs. Or the Chinese. Huh.
0: Who's to say? (laughs) It's unclear at this time. (laughs) The history of stairs, coming soon. (laughs) Um... Well, good. I'm glad. And you've got a lot coming up. I know you're going to Oshkosh in a couple weeks. Yeah. Is that, is that how I should be referring to it? I know, like, that's I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but... Yeah, we'll talk more about Oshkosh. Um, that's what we call it.
1: Awesome. I have nothing else going on. I, I think I have something every weekend for, like, the next two to three months. Right.
0: Well, so- good for you. <laughs>
1: so how... Let's check in with your mental health. How are you doing,
0: Allie? I am doing okay. I think I've been a little bit stressed out. Yeah. Um I think I'm I'm trying to like find my purpose. You know, I'm trying to like f- see what, you know, what do I what the future holds for me. And it it seems really promising and I'm excited. Um but change is really scary. Yeah. No, you know what absolutely. I mean? You pick up what I'm putting down? <laughs> I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also, like, really appreciate the fact that, like, I feel really comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to Ray the other day just about, like, work and his business and, you know, just, like, grown-up stuff, like, where we want to be because, you know... After we get married, where you know where are we going to move to, as far as like living locations and things like that? Absolutely not. No, you I'm, are staying in Greensboro. I'm staying in Greensboro, but like, you know,
1: what I does mean, life look like? You have your pick between Lindley Park and like Fisher Park, mm-hmm. but All definitely the parks, <laughs> in Greensboro <Classic> Park.
0: <laughs> um, no, we're gonna stay here. But like, just the the, what does the next year look like? Right? Yeah. Which is, Hard to project and it's hard to like look past if you're just like keeping your head down and like That's scooting true. through sawdust and moving through life. So it's been really nice to kind of like just check in and and really kind of like dig a little bit deeper, right? Um, and see like where do I where do we want to be? What's the plan? Yeah, I feel
1: like I've been doing a lot of that too. I think that we're at this age where. We've achieved a lot of our big goals, like we have a career trajectory that we can kind of sort of see for ourselves. Um, We know what goals we have kind of long term in terms of family or Mm -hmm. uh, where we want to live. How many cats we want to own? The limit does not exist. So now, like, how do we get there?
0: How do we achieve those goals is such a big and hard question. Yeah. And I've noticed, like, so much about being an adult is literally... It's similar to parenting, right? You just (laughs) fake it till you make it. Yeah. You appear to know what you're doing. Yeah. And other people perceive you to be... So much more qualified Qualified, than you are. (laughs) Golly. I don't
1: feel qualified for anything, and yet people continue to give me responsibilities and Uh expect me to manage things, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate.
0: I'm just always looking for... Just always surprised (laughs) that they let me. Exactly. No, I totally get it. But... When we were in, in um I almost said DC, when we were in Philly for the fourth, we like legit just like completely let go. And it was Aww. so fun. And something I didn't talk about last week was that we went to the Flowrida and BB Rex concert, <laughs> which was free. What? It was free. It was like a free Concert. You got to see Flow Rida for free. I mean, also, when was the last time we talked about Flow Rida? Right? When was the last time you thought about Flow Rida? <laughs> it's been <laughs> a long ass time. My head. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: Probably the last time I watched Pitch Perfect was the last time I thought about Flow Rida. Oh,
0: really? So we got there and they told us to go sit on the, the, so we, I guess we had lawn seats. They're all free, so we weren't quite sure how the hierarchy works. Uh huh. So we got there, they send us up to the lawn. So we're happy, we have our little blanket, we go sit on the lawn, and we see this lady, like, bringing people down closer to the stage. And I was like, hmm, and Ray was like, you should go talk to her. I was elected to do this. (laughs) So I was like, hey, we're sitting in the sun. Also, I had wrapped, Ray had this, like, really awesome, like, tweed Jacket. At, I don't know why he was wearing a tweed jacket in July. 4th. I love that
1: he owns a tweed jacket. It was
0: super cute. It was yellow. I had it draped across my shoulders because I was getting sunburned. So because I was like, "I need to get under <laughs> shelter immediately." <laughs> and so we, I go, I approached her and I was like, "Hey, where's are in the sun, like," and she was like, "Oh, you guys can come closer." Uh-huh. So I was like, "This is not a drill. Grab your shit. We're going. We're going." So. We keep getting closer. We probably got to, like, the sixth row. And I was like, those seats are empty. Can we sit in those? And Ray was like, don't be greedy. And I was like, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) And so we we got to, like, the fourth row. And BB Rex's parents were sitting, like, to the left behind us. The social media manager was sitting in front of us. And we ended up being on, like, some of their... their video streams, yeah, they're uh, on, on Instagram. Yeah, you sent me one of them. I think I had to watch
1: it three <laughs> times because I was like, Allie must have sent me this for a reason." And it wasn't until the third time—well,
0: maybe the there. second time—I saw blast. you. You were what? I was having a blast. You were. You were just waving and a lot of waving, a yeah. lot of gyrating. Um, I love a good gyrate. Same, but it was super fun. So, uh, flow again. Rida- gets on the back of this guy his bodyguard he like launches himself onto the back of the bodyguard and then he kind of like goes through the crowd and I, I had my hands up because I was dancing and he just high-fived my <gasps> hand I wasn't even you asking for a high-five he just and then in any way it happened twice not to brag it happened twice
1: <laughs> you touched Flow rider.
0: <laughs> yeah and I was like does anybody have any hands sanitizer <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it made me it was like the most free and like fun I think uh, I've been in a really long time just because of all like all the shit that's been happening in the world but it was it's was my first concert out of COVID I and love that. so that was a good time of reflection and like break from work and everything so yeah, yeah. um but other than that just like checking in and seeing you know where are we what's the plan where are we gonna be yeah what about um, you How's your mental health? How's everything going?
1: Um, good. The first, like, two days after my bike ride, I was, like, riding this endorphins high. I was just, my brain was clear. I was super excited. I woke up energized and ready to go in the morning. Mm -hmm. In fact, the very first day after my bike ride, I was, I woke up at, like, Six o'clock because that's what you do for this particular bike ride. I was like, oh, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then I went to get out of bed and I was like, never mind. Ooh. I will be taking it easy today. You're 90 years old all of a sudden. Exactly. Um, and then, like, I went back to work and I love my job. My job is also really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so by like Thursday, I was kind of in this. Little slump and trying to figure out like what to do to feel good and keep pushing through to the weekend and ended up going to see jazz at a local brewery. Oh, um, yes. And it was so much fun. I really enjoyed, like I love live music and this wasn't a concert as much as it was just like a bunch of guys hanging out playing music. Cool. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It made you feel grounded a little bit. Exactly. Good. I was outside hanging out. Um, just listening to music which ah. was nice. I think there's something so interesting about the way that we connect with music and I've mm-hmm. been processing that a lot especially since our Happy Chemicals episode. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about what music makes me really happy Right. Um, so it's cool that you had that experience with Loretta <laughs> I mean I hope he made some Happy Chemicals. I did. In your brain. I'm not
0: going to say we're dating but like <laughs> we might be dating Yeah. Um, Ray was there he's fine with it Good. So long as Ray consents. (laughs) Um, Anyway, let's talk about some psychology and history. Oh, right. Let's do that. Let's do that. What do you have for us? What is our psychology topic this week, Carrie Ann Watkins? Well,
1: um, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine from elementary school reached out to us on Instagram um, and shared a project that she's been working on for a few years now, like, quite some time and asked if we would be interested in collaborating for an episode. The Type For Me project, number four, not F-O-R, was started in 2015 to promote and develop Ashley's own art and hand lettering skills. After her own struggles with mental health, she devoted her skills and the overall project to raising awareness of black and white thinking that occurs with those who struggle with mental health. Her work is done pro bono and is used to bring awareness to a cause that affects so many in our communities. You can follow and support her project on Instagram at type4me. All all together, Mm -hmm. but the number four. All together now. (laughs) So Ashley approached us and wanted to talk about black and white thinking, which is such an interesting topic. Um, is that what we're talking about today? It is what we're <gasps> talking about today. I'm sorry, we're talking. <laughs> yeah, we are talking about black and white thinking, which was proposed by Ashley Kincaid, the hand lettering artist that I, I just love told it. you about. I love a good collab. Me too, and I'm so excited because Ashley's such an incredible artist. In fact, she did some art for our Instagram page. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Super she reached out and she was like, "Hey." I keep hearing your phrase over and over. And this is an idea that I had.
0: Do you mind if I like draw something up? And it's so cool. It's so good. So she's done a blink twice, keep listening image. It looks like a face. It is super cool. It's on her Instagram If anybody else feels so inclined to draw something that they feel, you know, connected to it with any of our phrasing, please do and please share it with us. I know our my friend from college also, his name is Lance Aaron Walters. He's been drawing stuff for us, too. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. That's amazing. Like, we have such cool people around us. Cool people. Um, And we'll talk more about
1: that at the end because, Mm -hmm. you know, we got to do a few shout outs. But to prepare for this topic, I watched a YouTube channel called Therapy in a Nutshell. And they pointed out their really good example of black and white thinking is the children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Oh, Do you remember this book? Brings was, me back. I know. It's so cute. Um, so naturally, I had to pull out my copy of the book and reread it because I have children's books mm-hmm. because you're, everywhere. We're children. Because mm-hmm. I work with children. So basically, Alexander is having the worst fucking day. <laughs> he gets gum in his hair. Everyone got a toy in their breakfast cereal but him. He was scrunched in the car. His teacher didn't like his picture of the invisible castle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he just repeats that he could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And everything would just be better if he was in Australia. Same. Same. Like, fucking Same. <laughs> At the end, his mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Mm -hmm. For Alexander's age and developmental understanding, this makes a hell of a lot of sense. We all do it. We're having a bad day or a bad week at work and in our personal life, and we just catastrophize everything. By the time we become adults, we should be able to understand that this doesn't actually benefit us in any way. So I'm not necessarily making the case for optimism, This is not like a find the good in every situation or everything will turn out all right. What we're talking about is the ability to see things in complex and nuanced shades of gray Mm -hmm. that make up our perception of reality. Mm -hmm. So things aren't good and they aren't bad. They are somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. at all times. Yeah. The inability to see that is black and white thinking. You with me so far? I'm with you. I got you. (laughs) Picking up what I'm putting down? I smell what you're stepping in. Black and white thinking is a pattern of thought or cognitive distortion, which we've talked about before in our fortune telling episode.
0: Shout out, cognitive distortion. (laughs) Shout out to us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Characterized by thinking in extremes. It's also called all or nothing thinking, splitting, polarized thinking, or dichotomous thinking. Everything is always the worst or the best. Things are all good or all bad. It can be about people, situations, or even yourself. It's the tendency to not be able to view things holistically, and it often contributes to interpersonal problems, and emotional and behavioral instability. Mm-hmm. So when you see things as being all good or all bad, and you're throwing your
0: emotions behind it, you're experiencing like this roller coaster of emotions all the time. It kind of reminds me of in elementary school when they're preparing you for like end of grade testing, uh-huh. and there's statements like, uh, you know, could this be true? And it's like this always happens. Right. This never happens. Exactly. We're going to talk. Yes, that's exactly what this is. And we're conditioned. Well, and we're taught that those two particular answers are most likely wrong because it's... Nothing is always or never. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's a great example of exactly what we're talking about. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. The way that we think, much to your point, impacts our emotions. Extreme thinking, extreme equals extreme emotions which equals extreme behaviors and reactions so if you're thinking in those definitives always or never things are always good or they are never good that's extreme thinking which impacts your emotions which can then impact your behaviors Mm -hmm. so why do some people do this I think we have talked about this in every other episode, but everything we do serves some kind of function. Mm -hmm. It's a coping skill or a survival skill. It's the way that our brains have worked to help us navigate the world. I think about this a lot when working with people. Like, our brains are wired to do things that work for us. In social work, we talk about coping skills and using healthy coping skills. What most people seem to not realize is that behaviors, even if they're negative, And thought patterns that are negative can function as coping skills for that person, too. Even if it's Mm -hmm. dysfunctional in the long run, Mm -hmm. we still do it. Right. Why else would we do it? Exactly. Because it works. Mm -hmm. The work of healing is, in part, replacing negative coping skills with positive ones. So dichotomous thinking also occurs simply because we have no other frame of reference. Like, if you have experienced life and things have genuinely been difficult, Mm -hmm. and the way that you understand them is that life is hard always, then we are getting back to understanding the world in a way that life is always hard.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And our behaviors and our emotions match that. So you don't have another frame of reference for it because that's what you've always heard or always experienced. Hopefully, the older that we get, the easier it is to see that things are not always that black and white. Mm -hmm. The idea is that there is no right or wrong, good, bad, always, never. Those uh, concepts are fundamentally flawed. There is no right decision and wrong decision. There is a decision, and you have to make a decision based on the best choice possible with the information you have. But ultimately, it's just a decision. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: People aren't good or bad. This is actually a thought process I've been struggling to unlearn.
0: Didn't we just talk about this like last week about um, people being inherent? Maybe it wasn't last week. People being inherently good or bad or. I mean, it's something that I've been ruminating on. So it's very
1: possible that this is not the first time I
0: brought it up. I honestly can't remember the context. And that's (laughs) how my brain is operating at the moment. No, 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 no. It was uh, Stockholm Syndrome.
1: We talked about this during Stockholm Syndrome mm. because we talked about how people aren't always good or bad. They're the sum of the experiences that they've had up to that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're all just reacting to our environment, giving our previous lived experiences. If you're experiencing black and white thinking, you may not have fully developed this understanding or you may not have practiced it enough to really embody it. By not learning and practicing anything other than black and white thinking, you may not have learned how to cope with things that don't fit into either-or boxes, and therefore you don't know how to process or understand things, so that, so then you disregard them or try and force it into a box.
0: Right. Okay, so this is often like, I mean, the, the children's book is a good example because that's often how children think, right? Exactly. It's like life or death, all or nothing. Right. The world is ending. Right. So... As you grow older, like you were saying, you understand that life is a little bit more complex, and mm-hmm. you take out kind of the more extreme. Of course, some people ha- are under you know terrible circumstances, and true. Some people have more privilege than others. Obviously, those are things we recognize. Absolutely. Um, but you're focusing on the black and white thinking in adult, right? Brain. Yes.
1: World. Adult, untraumatized brain. World. Gotcha. So the goal of a of development mm-hmm. is to be able to see the world in complex and nuanced ways. Right. However, we're going we're about to get to why some people get stuck in black and white thinking. Mm. It reminds me of narcissism. I think that occasionally there can be a component of narcissism in black and white thinking or sometimes uh, narcissists can experience black and white thinking. We're specifically going to be talking about PTSD, borderline personality disorder, and ADHD. Okay. Or any type of neurodivergence. Gotcha. But yes, I think that there's a component of any rigidity in thought, and narcissists tend to have this experience of having very rigid thoughts and beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, That means that they're unwilling to compromise or see things other than in this dichotomous way. Right. By believing that things are all or nothing, we can sometimes free ourselves from having to take action or accountability. I think exactly like just going back to your point, because there's no point in attempting to change something if it's already good or already bad. Mm -hmm. This can even help protect us from feeling vulnerable sometimes. Right. Vulnerability is terrifying, especially if you only see emotions as being positive or negative. Like, anger isn't supposed to be a negative emotion. It's an emotion that you experience in reaction to something. Right. Speaking of which, I love the movie Inside Out, and I think everyone should watch it. There's a kid named Riley, and the five emotions that live inside her head are joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. Joy, being the primary emotion, explains the roles of each emotion within the system, and she has something positive to say about each one. Fear protects us from danger. Anger alerts us to injustices and things not being fair. Disgust keeps uh, Riley from being poisoned physically and socially. But no one seems to really know what sadness does. Oh, it's Phyllis. It's Phyllis from The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which, in some ways, is another example of dichotomous thinking. Like, these first four emotions are good. They help Riley. Right. Sadness is bad because she doesn't help Riley. By the end of the movie, we figure out that sadness also has a crucial role in protecting Riley. She's the emotion that alerts Riley when she needs something, whether it's other people, safety, love, etc. So there are no bad emotions. Our emotions are just a response to stimuli. Uh, no matter how hard feeling emotions are, they're there to help you process your environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. This type of thinking or this type of black and white thinking may develop as a coping skill, like we've mentioned, or to serve a function that isn't indicative of any mental disorder. Like sometimes people just stay stuck in black and white thinking. Yeah. However, it's often present in the few diagnoses that we mentioned earlier, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, complex PTSD, major depression, and various forms of neurodivergence. So the more you use black and white thinking, the more likely you are to experience anxiety and depression, which then Mm -hmm. compounds the other mental health stuff you may already have going on. Um, If your internal messaging is, I'm a terrible person and she is so perfect, she has it all together, Mm -hmm. but no one will ever like me, That's a really simplistic way of creating a feeling of helplessness that's associated with depression Mm -hmm. because of that black and white thinking. You're not a terrible person, and she's not perfect. She doesn't have it all together. No, she does not. And people do like you. Whoever she is, I promise you, she doesn't. Exactly, because no one fucking does. Right. Um, But when you get stuck in this place of just putting people in these boxes, even yourself, of being a good or a bad person or liked or disliked, then you can kind of spiral into mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But it's like a chicken and egg situation, which comes first, the right. mental health Ugh. stuff or the black
0: and white thinking. Um, what a disservice to yourself too. And, and oh, I understand absolutely. like where it comes from. Yeah. But like what a place it puts you in because, you know, inevitably you're putting yourself down. Right. Well, and how hard it is to come back from that. Like, mm-hmm your brain
1: is literally telling you these things and you believe them so how do you begin to like deconstruct those thoughts right and i think first thing you have to do is recognize that you're doing it like step number 1 is realizing that this is an issue so acceptance m- <laughs> right you might be using black and white thinking if you use words like always never terrible um, everyone, everything, best, worst, or any form of exaggeration. Like, I consistently call things perfect. Uh, all the time. And I know that I'm being hyperbolic in my communication. Like, nothing's perfect. I'm mostly pretty well aware of that. Um, but I still exaggerate a lot. And that's just something, like, using very specific language is good for practicing deconstructing
0: this black and white thinking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is another word we could use because i use perfect a lot especially like an email yeah so we could say that
1: something is ideal or um great great
0: or fitting <laughs> are we british satisfying fabulous i'll see you later it's fitting <laughs> is that a thing it just sounds British to me. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Um,
1: yeah, we can come up with a whole list. Okay. That w- we'll create an Instagram. A list. We'll create an Instagram question. Don't make more work for me. I'm sorry. I ask you occasionally <laughs> if you want me to log in and do some of this work, and you just keep taking over.
0: I might forget. I don't want to forget.
1: I know. You do such a great job. Thanks. You're perfect. I'm <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I mean, I know. Okay. So here's a quote from Dr. Grohall. In polarized thinking, things are either black or white, and we have to be perfect or we're, we're a failure. There is no middle ground. You place people or situations in either or categories with no shades of gray, allowing for the complexity of most people in situations. If your performance falls short of perfect, then you see yourself as a total failure. Which I think just wraps it up pretty beautifully. From Therapy in a nutshell on YouTube, if you want to improve your emotional control and challenge your black and white thinking, there are four easy steps. And by easy I mean there are four steps.
0: (laughs) What could be more easy than four (laughs) steps?
1: Than deconstructing the way that you think? (laughs) Right. Break it down. Right. Number one, start to notice the signs of black and white thinking your internal messaging are the words that you use with others like always never perfect awful etc number 2 challenge your thoughts just because you're thinking something doesn't mean it's true mm-hmm. that
0: is a hard one for me yeah oh yeah that's so hard i mean you trust nobody other like better than yourself so when you're telling yourself something you believe it exactly Number three, replace thoughts with a more
1: truthful and moderate thought. So the moment that you think that something is horrible, like the worst thing that's ever happened, Mm -hmm. immediately start to recognize, okay, this may not be the worst thing that's ever happened. What's a more moderate way that I can think about this? Take it back now, (laughs) y'all. One hop this time. (laughs) Number four, increase a willingness to feel all emotions and hold on to discomfort. Yuck. Mm Mm-hmm. That sucks. Let it go. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, some questions to ask yourself to start to deconstruct this type of thinking. Number one, can someone love you and still be insensitive sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. They, they can. They sure can. <laughs> and that's not just a partner, that's a friend too. Like, oh, I'm thinking about family. Oh, and family. Absolutely. Yes girl (laughs) we need to have another conversation (laughs) um number two can you be basically intelligent and still do something dumb yes sure every day of my life every single day every damn day number three can an experience be really hard and still be really beautiful absolutely yeah But, like, thinking about these things as you're going about your day-to-day, whenever you feel like someone's being insensitive, is it possible for you to hold the thought that they can be insensitive and still love you? Mm -hmm. Not to justify someone being a dick, D-bad, but, like, within moderation, can these two things still be true together? Some other things you can do are practice mindfulness, check your internal dialogue, And think of a word between two extremes. So if we're thinking in the extremes of good and bad, what's a word that we could come up with that's kind of in the middle? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, Same with strong and weak, simple or complex, fat and skinny, pretty and ugly, calm and hyper. Like everything lives somewhere between these two extremes. So in conclusion, life is beautiful, difficult, complicated, joyful, painful, and everything in
0: between. And that is black and white thinking. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> I, yeah. And yeah, I use black and white thinking. I guess I didn't have a name for it, but yeah. The perfect thing really struck home for me.
1: Yeah. And I think it's because ultimately we want things to be perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Except
1: that perfect is an illusion. It's right. like the horizon. You're never going to get there.
0: Right. The pot of gold. Exactly, if you will, yep. Rainbows. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for doing that collabor- collaboration <laughs> <laughs> collaboration with us. Um, if you want to check her out, check her out on Instagram at type f- the letter or the number four me. Yeah, type four me. She's doing really amazing things with her art, and we are so happy to have her yep. as a collaboration this week. And you will notice our art for our episode this week is also done by Ashley.
1: Uh, which is a fun little surprise for Allie because I don't think I told you that she was going to be doing that before. I know. It's cool. We jumped in. Um, but Ashley's excited. We're all excited. Um, and stay tuned. Actual Angel Ashley, our regular graphic designer, will be back.
0: Of don't course. call it a comeback. <laughs> She'll be back next week. Um, um, awesome. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will be back with our history topic. All right. Hi, I'm Zandy, And I'm Liz. We're the hosts of Human Seeking Human, a podcast where we read the most entertaining personal ads, articles, and obituaries from old newspapers. Each week, we find each other's dream dates, read wild misconnections, and take a look at the most offbeat articles and ads from newspapers as far back as 150 years ago. We discuss everything from Hawaiian volcano murders to how personal ads played a big role in queer love life. So check out Human Seeking Human on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us at Human Seeking Pod on Instagram and Twitter, where we post some of our favorite newspaper clippings and weird ads. Hope you like what you hear, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Until then. And we are back. Okay, girl, are you ready? Because we are going to be talking about accidental medical discoveries oh yes like penicillin everything happens for a reason well listen don't ruin my topic listen I'm just trying to (laughs) jump the gun here yes that's exactly what we are going to be talking about penicillin actually (laughs) so we know that accidents happen all the time unintentional outcomes sure they just happen it is not uncommon for medications to have side effects or maybe even have different results that were not originally hypothesized. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Some accidents, some accidental medical discoveries. Wonderful. <laughs> and this is what happens when you deconstruct black and white
1: thinking. You have accidental discoveries somewhere in the middle. There we go. Well, it's about
0: capitalism, really, but yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, at least we don't have to do our intersections piece. I think we covered that just there. There we go.
0: (laughs) Um, Alexander Fleming returned from a vacation on September 3rd, 1928. Luckily for him, before he left for the holiday, he left some of his Petri dishes soaking in the sink. However, some of them were sitting outside or like above the water. So he was like a messy guy. (laughs) It sounds like my current kitchen status. (laughs) Um, He began to sort through the Petri dishes, which contain colonies of Staphylococcus bacteria, which causes boils, sore throat, abscesses. Um, Staph infections, by chance? Uh, It's unclear this time. (laughs) (laughs) He noticed something unusual on one of the dishes. It was spotted with bacteria, except for one area where a blob of mold was growing. The area immediately around the mold, later identified as a rare strain of penicillin, was clear as if the mold had secreted some type of uh, secretion that did not allow bacteria to grow in that area. It's magic. It's magic. It's penicillin. We don't
1: actually understand how any
0: of this works. No, right? Sponsored by Poundless. Sponsored by who? <laughs> Look it up as anything. <laughs> <laughs> Fleming found that this, quote, mold juice. Ew. Mm. Love that. Mm. It's like appetizing. appetizing. <laughs> Was capable of killing a wide range of harmful bacteria, such as streptococcus, meningococcus, and Dys... Feria bacillus.
1: I'm so glad that we <laughs> so intricately researched the ways to pronounce everything on I this podcast.
0: Know. He then assigned his assistants to do the hard stuff. So, Stuart Craddock and Frederick Ridley had the difficult task of isolating the pure penicillin from the mold juice. Hashtag assistant.
1: <laughs> Hashtag mold juice.
0: Yikes. Um, It proved to be very unstable and difficult to do, it turns out. Hmm. Fleming published his findings in the British Journal of Experimental Pathology in June 1929, which was only, like, a passing reference even to penicillin's, like, potential therapeutic benefits. He was like, by the way, penicillin... It wasn't until Howard Florley, Ernst Chain, and their colleagues at Sir William Dunn School of Pathology at Oxford University, Mm -hmm. um, they turned penicillin from a laboratory curiosity into a life-saving drug. So, they were the ones that were like, I recognize that you wrote three lines about this in your research, and we are interested. Good for them. millionaires.
1: (laughs) I bet their assistants are the ones who are like, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: So... Sir, so, can All you right, pay this? attention to this? Read this little bit, please. May I have some more money? <laughs> <laughs> Their work on the purification and chemistry of pen- penicillin began in earnest in 1939, just when wartime conditions were beginning to make research especially difficult. Also,
1: especially necessary. That's a good point.
0: Good timing. Yeah. Bravo. Brava. To carry out a program of animal experiments and clinical trials, the team needed to process up to 500 liters a week of mold filtrate, Ugh. Ugh. Gross. which is a lot. They began growing um, in like really strange areas, um, like bathtubs and bedpans and milk churns and food tins. and get to not- say that. That's
1: not where you actually want this to grow.
0: No. Like, obviously, this was not 2021 because (laughs) the bedpan penicillin is, like, not the kind (laughs) I would like. I will pay extra for the (laughs) non-bedpan
1: penicillin.
0: Uh, But later, they did, like, customize a fermentation vessel that was designed for easily removing the mold juice. And also, it saves space. A team of, quote, Penicillin Girls was employed for two euro a week to inoculate and generally look after the fermentation. Um, when was the last time you
1: watched Sweeney Todd? Oh, it's been a minute. Uh, this is reminding me so much of Mr. Morelli's Miracle Elixir. And oh, I'm yeah. like singing it in my head. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that's about hair growth and this is about <laughs> penicillin, but. Uh, Just
0: trying to turn everything into a musical. Obviously. Exactly. All the time. <laughs> In effect, the Oxford laboratory was um, basically being turned into like a penicillin factory. That was their main concern, mm-hmm. and it and it took time and it took a lot of space. It was not a certain science at this time. The increasingly obvious value of penicillin in the war effort led to War Production Board. Led to the War Production Board in 1943 to take responsibility of creating production of the drug. Fortunately, penicillin production began to increase dramatically by early 1944. Production of the drug in the United States jumped from 21 billion units in 1943 to about 1,600 billion units in 1944. Excellent timing, because that's about the... uh, Yeah, that's the time. Yeah, or the time. Um then in 1945 it grew to more than 6.8 trillion units damn so she she growing um and the manufacturing techniques had changed in scale sophistication from one liter flasks which is like i don't want to think about a flask of like bold juice but with less than one elixir is what we're calling it now so one liter of the miracle elixir with less than one percent yield to ten thousand gallon tanks. So one percent to ten thousand, or one percent, one oh, percent of ten thousand. Got it. So hang on. <laughs> Good, because I don't actually got it. <laughs> 1%. So a 10,000 gallon tank. It went from 1% yield to 80 to 90% yield. Oh damn. That's a oh, good damn. thing. That sounds good. That's an 80 to 90% increase is what that is. I am so proud of them. Thank you. Oh, me, not me them. <laughs> <laughs> The American government was uh, eventually able to remove all restrictions on availability. And as of March 15th, 1945, penicillin was distributed through the usual channels and was available to the consumer at their corner pharmacy. So I learned about penicillin like in high school. They were like, this guy went on vacation and he was dirty. And I was like, that's cool. (laughs) I'm (laughs) listening. Soup's relatable. And, um... That was kind of the original idea that I had. I was like, oh, I know about this idea of penicillin. It was kind of an accident. But the next topic I'm going to be covering is a little bit more sexy. Oh, sexy. Sexier than mold juice, I would say. It involves dicks, so. Teach their own. Who doesn't love a good peen? Well, one person in this room. (laughs) So I think we already know this, but I'm going to have you uh, my first quote, which is from an article by Ian Osterlow, who is the creation of the drug we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Says, quote, like most scientists and clinicians in, in this field, I chose a career developing drugs in the hopes of improving people's lives. I say hope because often pharmaceutical research and development is a source of frustration and disappointment. We make a continual contribution to science and medical knowledge, but our work doesn't always yield new medications. Very few of us get to work on compounds that ultimately benefit patients. I've been one of the fortunate ones though. In two decades of research, I've managed to be in the right place at the right time on more than one occasion. But the development programs I've had the greatest involvement in concerns one of the world's most famous drugs. Its scientific name is, again, forgive me, sildenafil citrate, but it is better known as Viagra. Girl, how did you go
1: from penicillin to Viagra? They're both accidental medical discoveries link up there. No, I got the link up. (laughs) Did you just Google like it's accidental drugs and Viagra was just like boop? This is just how my brain works. I don't Kinda know. kind of like a boner It just popped up. <laughs> just <laughs> boop. no, I, I don't
0: know. I just thought about it.
1: Oh, okay, it was an idea. Which came first, penicillin
0: or Viagra? Viagra. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Osterloh first came across the project in the late 1980s when he learned that his colleagues at Pfizer's Laboratories in Sandwich, a small town in England, the name is fucking Sandwich. That's so cute. What does it look like? What kind of sandwich?
1: Um, I'm going to have to go with the peanut butter and jelly. That seems like a very classic
0: sandwich. No, I'm thinking like...
1: Or some very on rye ripe bread. Tomato,
0: oh. some mozzarella. Some kind of cheese well, yeah. Mozzarella would be cheese. Yes. Oh, it would be cheese. Some type of cheese. Basil. Or maybe like a really sad sandwich because it rains a lot in England. And I think we're back to PB and J at that point. Maybe just a glass of beer. That's what kind of sandwich it is. <laughs> <laughs> um so, they came up with a hypothesis about selectively blocking an enzyme called PDE5, which sounds like an S Club 7 cover band. <laughs> which we'll be starting immediately. Yeah. After this. Yep. Stay tuned. They believe they may produce a drug to block the PDE5 that could expand blood vessels and treat angina for the heart. For the heart. And I was like, what the hell is that? Is angina for the heart? It is. Oh, good. It is a condition marked by severe pain in the chest, often also spreading to the shoulders, arms, and neck, caused by an inadequate blood supply to the heart.
1: I could have explained that. I've just finished watching the latest season of Grey's Anatomy, so I have once again earned my MD.
0: Right. You're Um, basically I'm basically a doctor now.
1: So... Is there a
0: doctor in the house? Yes. It is, yes. Yeah, it is I. It is I. Um, Osterloh himself was not optimistic about the particular that particular trial. By the early 1990s, the team had discovered a powerful and selective inhibitor to the PDE5, known at the time in the UK as UK92480. So, P90X. <laughs> <laughs> Venus 3000. I'm at Nimbus 2000. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you actually say? <laughs> it's it's a <laughs> a <champagne>. 3, <laughs> I'm going to lose my Harry Potter card. Mm, uh, early tests shows that it had moderate effects to the blood vessels of the healthy volunteers, which was a promising sign. However, the inhibitor only remained in the body for a relatively short time and when taken three times a day, which is like a lot. They had to take it three times a day. And they're like, it'll work, but you got to take it three times a day. In one of the studies, male volunteers also reported increased erections several days after the initial dose. Ian says, quote, None of us at Pfizer thought much of the side effect at the time. I remember thinking that... Even if it did work, who would want to take a drug on Wednesday to get an erection on Saturday? Which is fair.
1: (laughs) Great question. Great
0: question. Somebody, I'm sure, like a type A personality like ours, (laughs) a little planning ahead. Um, So we pushed on the angina studies instead. So at the time, um, this, uh, this continues the quote, At the time, I was managing one of the two Pfizer clinical trial units near Sandwich where we studied whether UK 92480 interacted with nitrates, the standard treatment for angina. We found that it did amplify the effects of nitrates, which could result in blood pressure going too low. This turned out to be one of the several findings that reduced the prospects of the UK 92480 becoming an angina treatment. However, increased erections were now being reported in even more volunteer studies. So we decided to follow up on those reports to see where it could take us. I'm so glad. I'm so
1: glad for them. Me too. I'm also curious, like people who are participating in these, is it? I don't know much about. Do I keep talking or should I stop here? <laughs> That's up to you. We can always count it out. That's true. But I'm wondering how rare the erection was for them to also report it as a side effect.
0: Well, what I do know, so well, and this is speculation. This is not in this article, but if you take some type of pill like for performance, it's like I think like pretty different. It's like pretty immediate well, I guess this wasn't immediate. This is like three days later. Right. But what kind of awareness would you have to have to be like, I took a pill
1: three days ago and now I have a boner?
0: I took a pill and a (laughs) beeza. Um, I don't know. Like that just seems strange to me. Yeah, I mean, if it, I guess it would have been out of the ordinary. It could have been at a time that like wasn't sexy. Maybe they were like In the out to of brunch. brunch. <laughs> I love that both of our yeah, thoughts they're went like they around food, obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I just think that that's interesting. I'm sure they started tracking it at some point, like asking people to pay attention to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah. I wonder, it must have been real awkward for the first guy who was like, yo. He's like, um, should I even bring this up? This is embarrassing. I'm so sorry. I don't know that this is related. It mm-hmm. could just be a random Saturday boner, but... <laughs> the Saturday ones are the
0: best. <laughs> so, coincidentally, around the same time, other studies were revealing more information about the biochemical pathways involved in the erection process. This helped us understand how the drug might amplify the effects of sexual stimulation and opening up the blood vessels of the penis. With UK 92480's chances of treating angina now slim, we decided to run pilot studies in patients with erectile dysfunction. In the initial study, the men watched erotic videos while a device monitored the girth and the hardness of the penis. The initial results were encouraging and showed the drug was much more effective than a placebo. Duh. (laughs) However, we still had a long way to go and many unanswered questions. Would the drug be effective when used in a less clinical setting and after a single dose? How could we measure its effects accurately without being intrusive? Would it work in men with ED caused by different medical conditions, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, or prostatectomy? The initial trial included more than 300 patients in the UK, Sweden, and France. They included men with diabetes. They then extended the treatment duration to four weeks and tested three different doses and a placebo. So they're trying to get the dose Right. Right. Because the Wednesday to Saturday situation, for some reason, wasn't appealing. The statisticians on the team were the first to see the actual data. It's their job to analyze the results and check the figures. Being the meticulous folks that they are, they don't like to share information until they're absolutely certain of the results. He says, I remember desperately trying to read our lead statistician's body language in the days prior to the results, but he was deadpan and I was able to deduce nothing from his behavior. When the results finally came through, they exceeded our wildest expectations. There was a beautiful dose response correlation with about 90% of patients responding on the highest dose. Drugs also well tolerated with very few patients reporting muscle aches and very few dropping out of the study, which I get. <laughs> um, the diaries and questionnaires were also, like, they provided really accurate and consistent results, mm-hmm. so they thought that that was a positive sign. But the nature of the drug development means that you can't savor the highs for long. They were preparing to embark on the most expensive stage of drug development, long-term clinical trials, thousands of patients worldwide. This would require hundreds of millions of dollars. Holy shit. I mean, it makes sense, but, like, for Viagra, yeah. Yeah. Ah. Talk to me in 40 years. Yeah. We might be having a different conversation, but...
1: What's that movie with, I think it's Jack Nicholson, and he has, like, a heart attack during sex, and he gets taken to the hospital, and they ask him if he's on Viagra? <gasps> oh, I don't know. Um, and he's actually, like, dating... That was The Shining, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's dating this young girl, and he ends up dating her mom, who's Diane Keaton, I think. Oh, oh as, good, as good as it gets? No, that's not it. Something's gotta give? Okay. Maybe. Anyways, I'm just wondering, like, can you have a heart attack while also taking Viagra?
0: Oh, Because if yeah. your
1: blood vessels are opening... That increases blood flow. Correct, which would make it harder to have a heart attack. But if you have blockage... But you still have better blood flow. I don't know. I'm sorry. I thought you got a PhD for every episode.
0: No, I haven't seen Grays all the way through.
1: Oh, okay. Well, we're gonna I don't need to know. catch you I up. I
0: really don't know if anybody does know. If we have any doctors listening, If there were talks in the house? Slide into the DMs. Let us know. Let us know.
1: Because I think my logic is pretty sound here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would reduce the likelihood of heart attacks during sex, which seems like a win-win.
0: But people do have heart attacks during sex, even. But are they on Viagra? But that increases blood flow. Like during, people have heart attacks during exercise. Because your heart is, like, pumping. Working harder. Mm -hmm. If you've had a heart attack during sex,
1: (laughs) (laughs) also, we are so sorry. We don't mean to be laughing. No, I'm really... This is a very serious topic. Yes.
0: Penises. Peni. Maybe? Nope. (laughs) So they end up receiving the extra funding. Spoiler alert, they create Viagra. And it does really well Um, about 12 years after the project had began and eight years after the first, um, you know, interactions with the UK 92480 and four years after the first erectile dysfunction pilot study, they finally had enough information to be confident of the best dose, the drug safety and effectiveness. They then applied for a license for the um for the drug in 1997. Their license was granted and the rest is history. And Viagra is being purchased and prescribed by over 30 million people all over the world. Good for them. I'm so glad. Also,
1: I saw this meme the other day that uh, said that to young kids today, The 1990s feel the way the 1960s did to us.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And now I'm thinking about Viagra being made almost 30 years ago, and that being the 90s. Uh Uh-huh. Time is weird. Time is so fucking weird. Also, it's been this long and we still don't have
0: anything for women? That's what was... That's my next point. Like, I'm really super happy for you and... And And your penises? And your penises and everything. I just... I I don't... I mean, obviously, they haven't found any side effects and any other drugs worthy enough to research as much as the ED drug. So...
1: I mean, I also don't think that they seem to care quite as much like they definitely. I'm sure that they would have to have husband sign off on it if a wife wants to take something yikes yeah I'm also not wrong
0: well I think that and I don't know how like what they're investigating currently but I'm very much secure in saying that they're not going to put this money towards something uh for women and uh, that they don't think is going to be super fucking profitable even if it would help people right so right.
1: because the issue is with women whereas for men the issue is with the penis
0: well the women get to take the penicillin too that's true so one for two one for two and you know we need some good penicillin penicillin once in a while
1: yeah yeah i'm allergic to penicillin are you really i am <gasps> did i not tell you about the time i thought i had smallpox
0: What? Are you 90 (laughs) years old? What
1: happened? (laughs) So I was a kid, and I had some kind of infection, and my mom gave me, or I went to the doctor, got penicillin, went to sleep that night just after taking it, and woke up in the middle of the night with hives all over my body. Oh, my God. And I had just learned about smallpox in school <laughs> so <laughs> in my brain class. my brain immediately went to i'm dying from smallpox and i very quickly resigned myself to just die in my bed and my parents would find me in the morning right Ugh. um
0: you i did was not perish in the night not though. in fact
1: dying i might be a smidge of a hydro- hypochondriac
0: so, your your allergies keep coming out. Is there anything you're else allergic to? Not that we need to share this on the podcast. Hashtag HIPAA, but... Penicillin,
1: amoxicillin, eggs, oranges, chicken. Perfect. Done. I'm
0: trying to poison you as I, you know, put penicillin You now in have all
1: shin. of the tools at your disposal. Okay.
0: Good to know. What about you? That life insurance policy that I took out last week should be... <laughs> I have no allergies. I'm invincible. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Must be nice. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm an angel, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, thinking about how our two topics intersect this week, Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of this old uh, idiom, axiom, phrase, buh I've heard uh, that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and I think the way that that ties in is if the scientists who were looking for a cure for angina Mm -hmm. had only been looking for a cure for angina and not been open to other possibilities, then they would never have found this medication for erectile dysfunction, Mm -hmm. Um, which is tied into black and white thinking. If you see things as either a success or a failure, then you have no room for...
0: um, for seeing all the possibilities that lie in the, the middle gray in between yeah and also for penicillin too just talking about spectrums here he attempted to clean up stay <laughs> with me here tempted to clean up kind of halfway did the ones that were above the water right had the mold juice link up there intersection there got it You nailed it. Boom! (laughs) Beautiful intersection. Yeah, I mean, black and white thinking is so interesting because I think we do it every day and kind of relating it to, like, science is, you know. Well, I think scientists are
1: often, um, they're looking for answers. Mm -hmm. And if you don't remain open to possibilities, then you're often an answer to a question that you haven't
0: even asked is right in front of you. Right. Um, and I wonder how much about it is like trying to push the hypothesis, like right. the projected hypothesis or expected hypothesis instead of like being open minded. So I'd be curious to like know the, the statistics about the what's currently on the market. And was it the intended? Oh, that's a great question. Or outcome as opposed to like a mistake or an accident.
1: Yeah, and I think tying this back into even our own, like, mental health stuff and personal goals, like, if you and I enter a career, and we're like, this is the end goal for me, Mm -hmm. like, I want to achieve this level of, you know, status or within your field or whatever, then you're, and you're so single-minded about that thing, you may not see other opportunities around you.
0: Um
1: and you may pass them up or even just feel miserable because you haven't gotten to that point yet. Right. Like, just because you haven't found the answer doesn't mean it's not out there. Oh,
0: and it is.
1: She's, Maybe not the
0: way you expect. She's there. <laughs> she's out there. Yeah. Well, very cool. I, I'm so excited to have done the collaboration with Ashley A Type for Me. Uh, it kind of, like, plays into our, you know, Patreon perks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're interested in becoming a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast without an audience. And at a certain tier, you are able to choose a topic for us. And that can be a psychology topic, a history topic, or a cult episode topic. So either a cult or a cult classic media piece. Yep. Uh, We do reserve the
1: right to ask you to pick a second topic. Just saying. (laughs) Just saying. Pick good. Um, Also, if you are an artist who is interested in collaborating with us for future episodes or even um, if you have some ideas for merch or designs, just hit us up. Let us know. We're approachable.
0: Super approachable.
1: (laughs) The most approachable
0: (laughs) you've ever heard. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an Odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.